The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, sexed up weekend edition. West Ham host Everton amid more moans and groans in the match of the day studio. And what of Nottingham Forest as they get wood. We'll talk Chelsea Liverpool, Klopp's 1000th game after a season spent shouting 999. And Arsenal Man United. Will this one get its own Wikipedia page? All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Thursday the 19th of January and hello to you listener. Today's totally featuring Matt Davis-Adams. Hello, Matt. Hello, James. And here in the studio, Michael Cox and Duncan Alexander. All right there. Hello. All right. Hi. Nice one, Michael. Lovely to see you. First time since Qatar. Yeah. Is that how it's pronounced? That's right. I'm getting <laughs> it wrong while I was out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Duncan, your presence enables me to mention that we've got you in a live Mm. Line up. 4th of April. Leicester Square Theatre in London is the place. And you, Raphael Honigstein and James Horncastle are the lineup. Very much so. There four, you go. Four, four, two, three, I think the, the date is. Sounds like a badly chosen formation by a chairman very, taking over a club. Very badly <laughs> formation. Are you looking forward to that? Do you love the live shows? I do. What do you love most about them, Duncan? Um, just seeing real people. Uh-huh. In, in real life, yeah. Right. Giving something back. And and looking at you, askance. Askance, right. Yeah. Well, listener, if that sounds something that you'd enjoy, then Leicester Square Theatre, one word, dot com is the place for tickets, which are now on sale. Although I did look at the map of seats and they're you know, it's turning red mm. like a like an electoral map. <laughs> Matt, this is your second podcast of the day and it's only twelve minutes past ten. Mm, yeah, prolific this morning. We've already recorded straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Mm. So if uh, that is something that would interest you, please do have a listen. There's lots of talk about Liverpool-Chelsea, but um, also lots of talk about Chelsea-Liverpool, which is happening in the WSL, confusingly, this weekend. And uh, obviously, Mikhailo Mudrik, which is basically what The Athletic's Chelsea feed has turned into this week, as has the club's social account. So if you can't get enough Mudrik, the place to be all right well we, we might have a bit of a mudrick mutter our, ourselves <laughs> later on but before we do any of that let's check on some of the big stories this week uh, last night wednesday night crystal palace ended man united's nine game winning run with a 1-1 draw at south park that's ahead of the big headline game this weekend which is man united's trip to arsenal the gunners you'll recall eight points clear of them and neighbors man city weekend kicks off Saturday lunchtime with Liverpool against Chelsea, as Matt was mentioning. That's ninth against tenth. Other prospective excitements include West Ham Everton, which is 18th against 19th. Man City Wolves, your team against whoever they're facing, which is possibly one of a couple of teams who are looking to revenge 5-2 defeats from earlier on in the season. Leicester will be hosting Brighton. And Leeds, who were done by that scoreline at Brentford earlier in this campaign, they host the Bees this Saturday, having themselves won 5-2 this midweek in the FA Cup in that third-round replay against Cardiff, which is probably a good place to start today's show. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Rodrigo 
on the ball. He plays the ball, looking for the run in the penalty area. Oh my goodness! Nonto with a sensational strike to put Leeds United up inside the first minute. Tremendous goal. Leeds five, Cardiff two. Wednesday night, Wilfred Nonto, Nonto shabby. Hey Duncan. Very much so. Twenty six seconds it took him to score one of the well one of the goals of the season probably. Lovely little, as many people spotted, De Canio esque uh, volley over the over the head. Well, over the defender and then uh, in the air. Very nice. Mm. So so fast was it that ITV hadn't even got their score caption up uh, for mm. the game. Although they had thankfully already zoomed their cameras out. Otherwise, we might have missed this one as well. True. It was uh, a haunting throwback to the nineties. Uh, whenever when we didn't even have score on the screen. Mm. Yeah, dark days indeed. Why are we leading with this game? It was a good goal, to be fair. I've just seen it. Oh, have you just seen it now? Yeah, this is a third-round replay, not traditionally where we'd start, but a bit of love for Leeds because this was their first victory since the 5th of November. And, and a fine victory it was too. Nonto with two goals, and what a figure he's proving to be. Uh, two goals as well for Patrick Bamford and another one for Rodrigo. But lovely for Bamford because it was the first time he'd scored in a long while. Oh, no, he scored the other day. He scored the other day. But that was the first time he'd scored for a long while. Yeah, he had the highest XG of any player who hadn't scored this season in the Premier League. So if he if he has found his, you know, shooting boots, I know Jules doesn't like that phrase, but um, then that is good news for these. I, the fact that Cardiff scored two goals late on, I mean, can you, can you take the shine off a 5-0 win? I think you probably can against a team from a lower league. So I quite like a 5-2. I think 5-2 is the highest scoreline before things start getting silly. Yeah, 5-3 sounds stupid. Yeah, it's it's a hockey score Mm. for me, yeah. No, I'd take a 4-3. 4-3 is the most kind of fetishised. That's the the classic scoreline, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, I enjoyed the post-match from this game. Uh, so I was I was travelling back from the game that I was covering, li- listening to the radio, and, and Patrick Bamford, like the grizzled old veteran, was asked about Nonto's goal and the similarities to De Canio. And he said, oh, of course, I can remember that one, but I think that he's too young too, which um, made me feel quite old. And then uh, Jesse Marsh calling the reports that the players are against him a bunch of BS, I thought was... Um, <laughs> Pretty enjoyable. Excellent, excellent. Quite the start as well for Cardiff interim manager Dean Whitehead, Matt. Yeah, uh, Cardiff are a, a bit of a, a crisis club at the moment. Um, I, people might have seen the, the video that Mark Hudson, the, the man who they sacked last week, put on social media of like uh, the first one of him telling his kids that he got the assistant manager job and then one the other night of him telling them that he'd been sacked, which was um, pretty sad. And he basically came in to replace his mate. He was the assistant to um, Steve Morrison, who, who got who got the sack early in this season and Hudson got a couple of months and you know there's reports that Vincent Tan's throwing up the Warnock bat signal and yeah not looking good for Cardiff I genuinely thought it was a, a Waitrose Christmas advert when I when I first saw it it's got that kind of <laughs> vibe to it. it's wholesome but poignant it'd need to be the other way around though wouldn't it you'd, I don't know the triumph to, to know, follow the disaster the, the touching part is the way that the kids respond to the Inverticom's bad news the way that it it just brings them even closer together. It is a glorious video. It's my second favourite thing on uh, Twitter this week. We'll come to my favourite a little bit later on, perhaps. But anyway, Leeds, who we've decided to go with, somewhat controversially as our opening topic, have Brentford in the league this weekend, who, as I mentioned before, beat them 5-2 
last time with Ivan Tony scoring a hat-trick. Any, any developments, by the way, on Ivan Tony and his extended break that he's going to get, probably? None. None, none developments. All right. Leeds' chances of kicking on from this terrific midweek win. You saw Brentford the other day, Michael. I did, in the 2-0 win over Bournemouth. They were just really calm and efficient and kind of won a game, albeit against probably the weakest side in the league, in just such a convincing manner. It really made me think they are a top-half side now. They're just no fuss. They're just very well organised, change formation very well, lots of good technical players, but also the ability to, to go long. I would back Brentford, actually. I think they're playing really well at the moment. I like Leeds. I, do, I hope they recover. They've got a lot of really likeable players, I think, the attacking players. And Nonto just adds to that. I mean, a player I didn't know much about at the start of the season, but he looks excellent. He does. They're one of seven teams within two points of each other at the bottom of the table. Leeds. This game finished all square last season. Patrick Bamford scoring a 95th minute equaliser, which was followed by scenes of uh, Leeds director of football, Victor Orta. Do you remember? gesticulating wildly at uh, an unidentified man in the crowd. <laughs> All right, then, that was Leeds doing Cardiff. Elsewhere in those midweek cup games, Matt, you were watching Birmingham beating Forest Green 2-1, which was not a replay. No, it wasn't. It was the, um, the only tie that fell foul of the weather first time around, but they got it on. Yeah, pretty unremarkable fixture, uh, the first time they'd ever played, but but made remarkable by Neil Etheridge's unbelievable triple save uh, in the second half, tips one onto the crossbar, back up to save the second one. Then manages to save the third shot as well, which was absolutely incredible. And, and he's a he's an interesting story uh, in himself. It was only his second game of the season and the, the other one was in August. He was summer 2021, contracted COVID and was in intensive care. And he, he spoke about um, being in such a bad way that he was hyperventilating, just sitting up and you know, was told by doctors that had he contracted it in the first wave, they wouldn't have known how to, to treat him and he would have been in a really perilous position. So pretty Incredible that he's been able to resume his career, albeit he's not the first choice at the moment, but I suspect that he will probably play for them on Saturday, um, given the performance he put in in that game. Excellent. He certainly triple-jabbed that one away, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. A shot in the arm for Birmingham season. Uh, Luton beat Wigan 2-1. National League Chesterfield, who came within seconds of beating Championship West Brom a couple of weeks ago, didn't do so well this time around in the replay. The Baggies winning 4-0 at the Hawthorns, while Tuesday night, accompanied by sex noises, Liverpool <laughs> beat Wolves 1-0. A uh, fine goal from Harvey Elliott, who's got some stick of late. Liverpool with a step in the right direction ahead of a mighty fixture this weekend. Yeah, eight changes in their first clean sheet in eight games. So they've found the solution. Don't play Alisson, don't play Van Dijk. No, but they look good, and some of the younger players uh, looked excellent. I thought Elliott had a really good game all round. He's very energetic. I think I prefer him in the front three. He's played in the midfield three. I just, I think with Liverpool's other problems in the midfield, they can't really afford, at times, a bit of a passenger at this age without the ball. But in the front three, he looked excellent. And yeah, the goal was a good strike. I must say, I thought Jose Sarr, Hmm. I don't really know what he was doing. He just seemed a really weird position and quite a strange goal from his perspective. Liverpool's reward for victory in that game is a trip back to the Amex again take on Brighton that's a week on Sunday just a slight counter to the Liverpool are back angle they did only generate 0.2 xg in this game and they were playing Wolves and you know Wolves did play pretty well in the second half so it was definitely a step forward but it was not a a big confident stride forward I would say Mm. before that Brighton game of course Liverpool have a huge match this weekend 
when they take on Chelsea. We'll be talking about that game very, very shortly. But next up, let's get on to the Premier League action with the big game on Sunday. Arsenal, eight points clear, but facing Man United. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by Live Score Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the Live Score Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Arsenal Man United. Matt, what do you think of when I say Arsenal Man United? Um, well, I was thinking actually it's, it's nice to have this fixture not be looked at in kind of sepia tones and oh, this used to be good in the 90s, didn't it? It's actually got a bit of relevance towards the, the, the title race this time around, which it feels like it's been an awfully long time since that's been the case. So maybe I won't automatically think of Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger being spiteful toward right. each other come the end of the weekend. What won't you automatically think of, Duncan? Well, I will automatically think of the game in 2017 when Arsenal battered United but lost 3-1 and De Gea made like 13 saves. Ooh. And it was the kind of moment in in the British psyche that expected goals kind of went mainstream. Is I that think. right? Yeah, because a lot of people were like, oh, I can't believe Arsenal didn't win that game. If only there was a metric to show how much they dominated. And we're like, oh, look, look at this. So, um... And that's the last time United did the double over Arsenal in the Premier League. Obviously, they beat them earlier this season. So you could, you could imagine a similar outcome this weekend. You know, De Gea does have that enemy. Made a great save at, at Palace in midweek. Mm. You'd expect Arsenal to dominate this match at home. So, yeah, I think De Gea. We haven't said this for a while, I guess, but I think he's quite a key figure ahead of this game. Okay, United missing the chance to come into this fixture, only six points behind Arsenal with that game at Palace, in which they drew after uh, Bruno Fernandes' opener. There was a sensational free kick from Michael Olise in the 91st minute to earn a draw for Palace, who'd had a rotten run of form going into that. Olise, well struck! Oh, beautifully struck! David De Gea has had the answer for everything tonight, but there was no answer to that! It was a strange game. I was surprised that Ten Hag went with Veghorst up front. I know Duncan's a big fan. But I thought the way that they played in the second half at the weekend and when they put Rashford up front and obviously he caused havoc 
sometimes by touching the ball and sometimes not touching the ball. I thought they'd go the same way again. And I find it quite weird. Managers talk so much about their philosophy and how they need every player to understand every part of the approach. And then they sign a player and they just put him straight into the team. I always find it quite weird. And he didn't have a bad game. Um, and I think he's quite a good signing for the, for the rest of the season. But I was just surprised by that. I, I thought it slightly blunted their attack. Do you think maybe uh, Ten Hag underestimated the the difficulty of the fixture? And that's why I thought this would be one we can blood Veghorst in. Not necessarily. I, I just think he probably looked at Palace and thought maybe they'll struggle more against a, a big target man mm. than Pace. But like I say, I think it's quite tough to come in straight away and, and adjust, especially when you've just got a good result at the weekend, albeit with a, a halftime switch. I just thought it was a, a strange one. I mean, I guess the only thing he did do was he kind of attracted attention for the... For the Bruno goal, because yeah. I mean, I'm, it's rare you see someone with that amount of space in the penalty box. It's so much time to shoot, but yeah, I agree with Michael. Generally, you know, I think United players looked for him in the air early on, and then quickly realised, as Burnley did, that he's not really a target man. He's, you know, he's actually quite a, yeah, he, he presses and he's he's quite a good link-up man. More, you know, just because he's six foot six. Go on, say it. Go on. He's got good ability with his legs for a end. So. Uh, but ironically, in this case, it was the opposition who had the free kick to equalise late on, which very much is stock in mm. trade. That's all he does. Because, and Iteraldi asked, what do you think, Duncan, about the fact that he's a numbers man when he explained that his 27 shirt number is because 2 plus 7 equals 9? Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. If Even Zamorano, a pioneer in that sense, yeah. remember? He had 1 plus 8. Yeah. I think if you put the actual plus, some players have actually done it with like duct tape, haven't they? Little yeah. pl- that that's too much. Zamorano was a duct tape advocate. Mm. Yeah. Well, I quite left backs always like number three. Is it a couple who got number twelve because like one plus two? I think maybe Matt Target. This is probably complete coincidence, but Luca Dean has got twenty-seven, which is three to the power of three. Nice. Um, he probably didn't intend that, but hang on, I'd like to. Twenty-seven? Did you say? Hmm. It's three to the power of three. <laughs> That's not. Is it? Three times three. Is that 27? Is it? Uh, can I three, just say something about Mike Thurlise? Right? Is that right? He probably is, isn't it? Yeah. Is it? Mm. Nine times 18 mm. plus nine. Yeah. I was working right. someone else out. Yeah. You, you used to work with Carol Vorderman, didn't you, James? One briefly. briefly. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, right, 27. There you go. Matt, what number would you wear? Uh, eight, definitely. Right. Obviously. It's, it's the most attractive number on a football shirt. I don't think there can be any debate about that. Nice. Yeah. It's a, f- a very powerful s- symbol as well, the eight. But sorry, you had, a, I think, a more relevant point you wanted to make. Yeah, I can't I really add anything on masks. I got a grade E at GCSE and wasn't allowed to research it during the sixth form. So I would just say that I'm really fascinated to see what happens in Michael Elise's career mm. um, because he was uh, in at the academies at Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester City. And word around the campfire was that he was quite difficult to coach and manage, which is why he um, left all of those clubs and he, he went to Reading and has ended up at Crystal Palace. But I just wonder if he's... Because he, I saw him live at Stamford Bridge last week and he's such a good player. His first touch is absolutely incredible. So I'm interested to see where he goes. And if he makes it into the full France team as well, because he's a France under-21 international, isn't he? So it'd be interesting to see if he progresses. He's only 21, so... Yeah, he's one of those players who feels like he's got a very high ceiling but might be limited by himself more than um, by other factors. Would it be fair to say that Palace have their fair share of those? 
Yes, it would. Uh, incredibly, or players with incredibly high ceilings in terms of their technical ability, who whose biggest limit by, might be their own selves. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Vieira's got really good taste in players, hasn't he? But just not that sure he knows how to use them. I mean, he te- he tends to really chop and change in terms of system. He went with kind of three outright attackers yesterday. And at least as a player, I was really excited about when he first joined Palace, but. I'm not sure he's necessarily developed that much since then. But he's very exciting. And on the international front, he's mildly fascinating because he qualifies for England, France, Nigeria and Algeria, who I think last time I checked were all in the top 25 or so in the FIFA World Rankings, which is pretty good options, isn't it? Birth of death. I'm sorry? Like a group of death, but... (laughs) (laughs) Does that work? doesn't work, does it? Uh, United felt they should have had a penalty in this game. Oh-ho! United upset by a refereeing call for the home side. <laughs> yeah. they. It was a penalty, IMO. Okay. But it's a curiosity this season that Liverpool haven't had a penalty. Man United have had one and Arsenal have had one. So between between those three storied clubs, two penalties all season. Mm. So. The other refereeing decision, which was a blow to United, was the yellow card for Casemiro which to be, I, I thought could have been red, to be honest. But anyway, because he was only one yellow away from suspension means he will miss Sunday's clash with Arsenal. How big an absence will that be? What will it change about the way the game plays out? Yeah, quite a big absence. He's been excellent recently in terms of his ball winning and his passing. And you think that maybe Martin Odegaard will be particularly pleased about that. Obviously, former teammate of Casemiro. It was a strange one. It was almost like the possibility of Casemiro getting a booking was treated as the main event for this game. And eventually it came and the commentator reacted like something absolutely tragic had happened. There's was, was well, only, only one player suspended for one game. Yeah. <laughs> but also, he'd been really careful up to that point. And then someone ran on the pitch for a selfie with him, which, to be fair, he posed for mid-game. <laughs> and then it, that seemed to make him lose his head. That, I wonder what that picture's worth now, the last picture before. <laughs> well, the fellow's got to get his phone back first, I imagine. So. Oh, was it confiscated? I don't know, to be honest. All right. You should get booked, I think, for posing for a selfie midway through a game. Really? Really, yeah. Adam Crafton saw the game. He posted some what he called realities for Man United. If Rashford doesn't fire, there's little else stepping up in the front line. Uh, Ericsson seems to tire after 60 minutes and there's no adequate replacement. Moving Bruno wide to protect Leeds feels awkward. And, says Adam, it's likely a top four battle, not a title battle. How would you How would you respond to those? It's probably fair, but I mean, that was the target, I think, at the start of the season, wasn't it, really? Finishing in the top four. It's only been a couple of weeks, really, where we've considered that they were in the title fight. So, yeah, I I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think they're legitimate issues, but they're just midway through a bit of a a squad-building process, and they're not quite there yet. Mm. If they win, though, on Sunday, there'll be only five points off the top again. So, hmm. What about Arsenal then? We were saying on Monday, in, in Monday's show, that they, they're looking unfazed by anything uh, this season. Uh, what do you make of them, Matt? Yeah, pretty unfazed. be interesting to see uh, if they can get this Trossard deal over the line, uh, which has been reported yeah. today. If so, that's the... Right. Where have you seen this, Matt? <laughs> of course, it came from Fabrizio Romano first, but it seems to be quite widely reported now. But it, it's interesting that a, a lot of the talk has been about the harmonious dressing room and how that's what Arteta has done in getting rid of, rid of Aubameyang, etc. To, to then bring in somebody who has very publicly fallen out with his manager a week ago seems like um, a slight risk, potentially. OK. Tactically, is that the player that Arsenal needed? Is that something they were short on depth-wise? 
Yeah, I think they were short of just general attacking depth. And Trossard's a player who can play in various positions. A little bit like Smith Rowe, who's been absent. And, and when he comes back, there'll be a boost. But yeah, I thought the game against Newcastle where Arsenal drew 0-0 and Arteta just didn't make any attacking subs. The only one he made was bringing on... Um, Tommy. Uh, Tommy Asu. Yeah. Yeah, that showed that they just need... They do just need depth and he's a very good player. I think with the potential to, to get a little bit better as well. Yeah, I think he's pretty much split his time four seasons at Brighton almost exactly thir a third of the time on the left flank, a third of the time was sort of a, a 10 attacking midfielder and then a third of the time up front, which he's done more of this season. So mm -hmm. I think he is versatile and I think he has been reasonable as a as a forward this season, which is obviously where Arsenal are, are most lacking. So And I think the the kind of character thing's probably overblown because he's been fine up until now. It's just recently and, you know, Deserby has had some issues previously in his career. So I don't necessarily think it's Trossard's issue. I think he'll, he could fit in well. Good Lord. I wonder what number he'll take at Arsenal. Key decision for Leandro. Were he well, he travels back to Belgium on the Eurostar, so maybe he'll um, pick one of their four-digit numbers. <laughs> okay, that's, that's an interesting <laughs> angle to take. Uh, what do you think? Does anyone want to call this game Arsenal-Man United? Are Arsenal going to preserve their margin? I don't particularly want to call it, but I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. And I think it's interesting because in the in the reverse game, I think it's maybe the only time Arteta's made a bit of a mistake what, when what? Manchester United went 2-1 up and he really gambled very strongly uh, with attacking substitutes and really left the back door open. I know he was quite riled by the idea that he'd got that wrong, mm. but I think it's tough to look at the final 20 minutes of that and not come to that conclusion. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal played really well that night and, and lost 3-1, which is what we're saying happened in 2017 as well. So, yeah... United haven't beaten the team top of the table twice in a season since they beat Newcastle in the I would love it, etc. Ninety-five, really? ninety-six. So, like Michael says, it's just it's great. And Matt said earlier, it's great to have this fixture back as a sort of blue chip fixture. In because let's be honest, in recent seasons it has been a bit, you know, soccer aid. Is that top of the table at the time of the game? Or? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Matt, two-two draw. That's what I'd say. Um, I was just that, thinking that that's the score that I associate with yeah. this fixture. And I've just had a look. And the last time it happened at Arsenal was in 2007. So No, but you're right. I think 2-2 two, two does feel like a sort of keen Vieira era okay. scoreline. So. It's tough to make a case for why this won't be a good game, actually. They're both playing well. They're both quite open. I don't think either side will go defensive for this. I think it should be a really good game. Excellent. On the subject of Man United, by the way, also reports this week that Sir Jim Ratcliffe uh, one of Britain's richest men, owner of Nice and the Ineos cycling team, mm. of course, Probably has not. officially confirmed that he's in the running to purchase United from the Glazers. Hmm. All right. More when we know more, unless anybody already does. No. It's, it's interesting that uh, the cycling team used to be Team Sky. Mm. And, of course, Sky were once Tried to buy very United. nearly bought Manchester United. Mm. Also, British cycling base in Manchester. Could we see... Anthony Rashford at the velodrome doing some pre-season training but possibly so revolutions in prospect for for United perhaps we'll, we'll touch more on that we'll talk about what Palace are going to do this weekend later on a quick pause and then Liverpool Chelsea Ooh. this episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. 
Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Just on the subject of Sir Jim Ratcliffe, uh, Duncan was just dropping some fascinating details about his approach to Nice. Mm. Which hasn't gone too well this season, but he he's no. taken Dave Brailsford away from the... Who was the guru, the marginal gains Yes, the British pioneer. cycling pioneer, yeah. yeah. Um, away from sort of running the cycling side and right. made him... He's been basically living in a, I presume, luxury caravan, not a... Living in a caravan. Yeah, at the Nice training ground to right. sort of, you know, help them. It has, obviously, it hasn't worked, but you do wonder if he did... Living in a caravan at the training ground. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether it's like Alan Partridge when he was having his house built, but... But anyway, you wonder if he would try this a similar thing with Manchester United if he took over. With with Brailsford, maybe. Living in a caravan in Carrington. Maybe he would have a uh, a hotel in Manchester. Or an it? RV. Mm. Well, that's fascinating. Of course, we're a long way from any of that happening because it's still in the grips of the uh, Glazers' grubby paws. Uh, anyway, that's enough about Man United because I mentioned we were going to do Liverpool-Chelsea, which is... Jurgen Norbert Klopp's 1,000th game in management. Woohoo! It's a lot of games, isn't it? 1,000 or 999 so far. What's your favourite Klopp side to watch, Michael? Is it Niche Mainz? Yeah, his second division at Mainz. No, um, I prefer the Liverpool side to the Dortmund team, actually. Do I, I thought the Dortmund side, I mean, what he did was fantastic and they were so energetic and high tempo and ferocious, but... I did think they lacked a little bit of guile at times and, and when they weren't able to provide that intensity, sometimes I didn't really know what they're all about. Whereas I think the difference with Liverpool for me is in particular Alexander-Arnold. I mean, Firmino as well, but I guess you can say Lewandowski did that role. But Alexander-Arnold was so creative and just, I just think he's a joy to watch, like the shape on his passes and his crosses and the fact he does playmaking as well as just assisting and crossing. He's, uh, yeah, you take him away from Liverpool and I, I just don't enjoy them as much. Any any notable stats about his 1,000? Have you got any prepared at all, Duncan? Well, there's a weird one in the 999 because remember a few seasons ago when Liverpool were in the World Club Cup? Right. And also in the League Cup when they had to play basically on the same day, do you remember? Mm. So that's kind of counted even though Klopp couldn't have split his... Oh, see, he wasn't at both of them. No. I mean, in, in spirit, but... Physically. So it's actually only 998. Well, we've blown this wide open, yeah. So <laughs> Oh, skip this section then. <laughs> I had no, a whole no, thing about how 1,000th no, 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 games yeah, don't no. often don't go well. The well, yeah, no, that's fine because it is, it's being completely counted as the 1,000th. So. Well, okay. Because he was in charge of... I mean, you often get managers who are ill and don't go to games. Yeah, yeah. but they're not in charge. But though, no, but they get counted under their record. What, so I think I mean, what is managing then? Oh, that's the question. Well, we, philosophically, mm. existentially, we've, yeah. I'm going to skip the bit about Arsene Wenger losing his 1,000 6-0 to Chelsea. And Steve Bruce, who celebrated his 1,000th game uh, at Newcastle, but only briefly because he got booted out by the uh, brand new owners out of Saudi Arabia three days later. Let's instead talk about what this game means Matt it's a crisis club derby featuring your lot Chelsea 
Mm, yeah, I'm not sure I'm totally happy with my lot, but um, certainly the team, a team that I am affiliated with, yeah. But mm. I don't think Chelsea are going to be crisis club for much longer. I think Ooh. they're about to tear their way through the Premier League. Based on what? Based on the fact that they are soon going to have some of the incredible uh, amount of players injured back, chiefly Ben Chilwell and Rhys James, who are both back in training this week. And their next, so Liverpool away is obviously a difficult game, albeit Liverpool aren't great. They've then got Fulham at home, Fulham having a good season, but still. Then they go to West Ham, Southampton, Spurs, Leeds, Leicester, Everton. That's a decent run of fixtures for Chelsea. And they've also got or Graham Potter, uh, more specifically, has got time to train. So this is the first time in ages they haven't had a midweek game building up to this. They've got nearly two weeks after this until the next game because they're out of the FA Cup. So it feels like he's actually going to get the opportunity to do some proper coaching for the first time. And uh, yeah, the optimist in me thinks that that might enable Chelsea to go on a run. Obviously more pertinent that they get some of the injured players back, but that looks like it might be happening. And um, they did win last week, albeit Mm. against Crystal Palace and and only narrowly. They'll also have Mikhailo Mudrik as well. Uh, I know you enjoyed JJ Bull's breakdown on why he is such good news for Chelsea. Uh, That was on Tifo's YouTube uh, channel. I mean, essentially, JJ's point was... He's two-footed and, and, and quick, like a bit like Eden Hazard, but sped up. Yes, and uh, he can go inside and outside. And, and, and going back to what Michael was saying about the importance of Trent Alexander-Arnold, if, if Mudrick starts in this game, then, then part of what he will do, hopefully, would, would be to, to pin Alexander-Arnold back a bit and mean that he can't be as effective going forwards. Um, it'd be an interesting place for him to make his debut, obviously. I wonder if it might be slightly less pressured than starting a game at Stamford Bridge. You know, it's, it's Liverpool-Chelsea. Not all the spotlight's going to be on Mikhailo Madrid. Although, from what we know of him, he quite likes having the spotlight on him. So so maybe um, that's not a problem. But yeah, I think Chelsea have got a, a decent chance here. They haven't lost at, at Anfield in a while. They didn't have a game midweek. I guess it's more significant for Liverpool that they managed to win that game, given the form they were in before. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if Chelsea got a positive result here. Chelsea have taken only two points from the last 15 available away from home. Michael, previously you were saying that you couldn't really see how Man United Arsenal, Arsenal Man United, could be a bad game. What about this one? A meeting that took place four times last season, including both domestic cup finals and all, all four games were draws. What do you think? It's tough to know because I don't think either side are in good shape at the moment. So that could mean it's quite scrappy and bitty or it could just mean the defences are really open and it's a bit chaotic. I, I don't know. I don't know, but Looking, looking forward to it. I do. I mean, I take Matt's point about all oh, the injured players. I mean, the list at the moment is still pretty substantial. But given there's vague murmurings that Potter's slightly struggling to control the dressing room, which is not a new problem for a Chelsea manager, I just wonder how he's going to cope if everyone comes back from injury. I mean, they're going to have 22 players who kind of probably expect to be playing games. And I know you've got uh, a couple of competitions and five subs these days, but... I just think keeping all those players happy is going to be a real a real nightmare. You don't share Matt's optimism about their prospects. I think they'll improve. I think their their performances have been better than the results in recent weeks, but uh, yeah, I, I just I, mean, I just worry in terms of the actual management of individuals. I think he's he's shown that he can do that uh, to an extent already. I mean, you've got 18-year-old Lewis Hall who's a central midfielder playing left back ahead of 56 million pound Mark Kukurea at the moment. I know Potter knows Kukurea from Brighton, but that's a pretty big call. And last week he brought on Kaladu Kulubali to play at left back instead of Kukurea. And, and he's obviously dropped um, Kulubali for, for Badi Ashil already. So, yeah, I think I think he, he maybe I mean, has a handle on that. But I mean, Kukurea, he has been properly rubbish, hasn't mm. he? I mean, yeah. like, and, he, and he hasn't got much of a, 
a case for being in the side. I just, I mean, if you look at, if you sort the players by how much, how many minutes they played this season, it's the lads at the bottom who've barely played any that have been in the team recently. Uh, Carney Chukwemeka, uh, Hall, Zakaria, Ziyech, like I've done okay. And I just think are going to, they're not going to be rewarded for for decent performances. They're just going to be tossed out of the team for new signings or players coming back. I just, I think it's going to be really yeah, tough to manage. Some of the signings are so political as well that you can't, you know, you've got to chuck them in straight away. I mean, he needs to channel, maybe channel Barry Fry from Birmingham in 94, 95. And I think the squad had like over 45 players in it. Mm. And what was his approach? Just random team selections. Okay. So, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe do that. Have like some sort of, you know. A tombola. Mm. Well, if they could take a Raise leaf. money as well. Yeah, yeah. Why not? For future signings. If they could take a leaf out of Klopp's book and play two games on one day, that could actually be really useful for yeah. them. Bingo. I was just going to point out on the on the Liverpool front, Mohamed Salah, former Chelsea player, obviously played for Chelsea in that Stephen Gerrard slip game, which was always mm. amusing to remember. He's only scored two goals at Anfield in the Premier League this season. He's fewer than Leandro Trossard. That, that's so true. <laughs> that's so true. Uh, both these teams are 10 points off the top four. Do you see either of them troubling the Champions League places come the end of the season? And is this game particularly decisive in determining which might? I think I think they can trouble them. The, the issue that I've got, I think both Liverpool and Chelsea are capable of going on a run of form. But but the problem they've got in terms of the top four is it's difficult to see either Man United or Newcastle dropping out of that. So it, it's, it's whether they're going to drop enough points as well as Liverpool and Chelsea making those points up, I guess. OK, unless City end up with Thursday night football, of course. Uh, Do either of you two have a strong opinion on that or shall we get on to the other team from Liverpool? Well, I think um, their best bet to get in the Champions League is probably winning the Champions League now. Ah. The back door. Right. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Which will be a a first. Imagine actually Liverpool-Chelsea Champions League final would when both of them have finished sort of eighth or ninth be quite good. Excellent. Meanwhile, tough times too for the team on the other side of Stanley Park. Everton. They lie 19th. After last weekend's defeat at home to bottom club Southampton, this time they're away to West Ham, who are 18th. That's at Saturday, 3 o'clock. Last weekend saw angry scenes post-game with Jerry Mina and Anthony Gordon confronted by upset supporters amid reports that one of the directors had been placed in a headlock previously by an angry fan and the director's decision for this game to not attend for security reasons. Now, a lot of supporters this week have been angry at uh, the widespread reports of the headlock business, asking for some evidence of that. The Athletics' Greg O'Keefe joins us now to talk about that and a difficult week for the Toffees. Greg, thank you for for coming on again. First of all, have I got this right? Uh, Everton supporters are saying that the club essentially have misled the press to make them look bad over this headlock business. There's certainly a lot of scepticism uh, and anger over the security, the timing and, and the way that the club have communicated the the background to the security fears that, that, that made them, they say, decide that the, their directors shouldn't be at Goodison for their own safety. I don't know whether it'd help if I gave you a bit of context around. You're in the, you're at the club, you're in literally in Goodison in the media room and you get this statement and the first thing that you do is you seek clarity on it, you seek background and, and you try and find what the hell's going on so me along with you know dozen other journalists who were there at that time for, you know fairly early not everyone's sometimes there at, at noon when it kickoffs at three we started to ask the club staff the club media staff 
And they, you know, they explained about the correspondence that it was emails and threatening emails to Denise Barry Baxter and Bill Kenwright, you know, saying that they knew where she, in, in Denise's case, live. Uh, that Bill Kenwright wouldn't be safe if he if he came to Liverpool, and lots of really vile stuff about you know wishing serious illness on on them and their family. And then you know, I said, well, what about this targeted physical aggression? And I'm told by a member of the club team that Denise Barry Baxter had been put in a headlock by someone who was at the game after a recent home game. So straight away you think, I mean, it's like a really incredible claim and a really alarming thing to happen to anyone at a football match, but let alone a woman. You know, whether she's, the fact that she's the CEO actually, as a journalist, obviously puts you even more on alert that this is a big story and something that it's incumbent on you to report. So, you know, you, you start to prepare that. You you ask more questions and you start to you speak to my colleagues in London and we, we prepare an article. An email had gone through to Merseyside Police Press Office just to check whether or not they'd had any reports of this and just sort of trying to tick every box. Of, have they had a criminal assault reported to them? You know, as the BBC do, as, as the Liverpool Echo do, we prepare our article and we, and we write it. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Clearly, it was an evolving story. It was it was a rolling story. And after our initial report, we absolutely went back to Merseyside Police and the club to ask for, for more information and more evidence and clarity on what they were saying had happened to Denise Barrett-Backnadale. And you know, the club subsequently told me that they didn't wish to pursue and she didn't wish to pursue any criminal action. She didn't want to speak about it. And they were unable to offer any supplementary background or or evidence to to back up that that it had happened. They they didn't clarify what game the the headbutt uh, incident was alleged to have happened. Now they they just told me it was a a recent home game, and um, you know asked a couple of times what game, when, and eventually I came to understand it was it was after you know after a game. Uh, as she was, she was going from the uh, the director's box back to the director's lounge, and you know, a, a source of the club was able to tell me that much. But I can understand why, you know, supporters might question the, the gaps in in these things, and it can add to the frustration out there. And and then the, you know, the club at the end of it decide uh, and and say publicly that they're they're not going to comment any further on the the incidents. And unfortunately, it feels like well, there absolutely are still lots of questions from a, a frustrated fan base, from journalists who who are trying to tell a story that's moved from the initial tweet and statement on Saturday. And um, if we're told that she didn't want to pursue a criminal action, she didn't want to go to the police, on those terms, I suppose we have to accept that. But I can understand why fans are scratching their heads at parts of this. The police have said that they don't have any report of it, but I, I, I think I'm right in saying that the club have said they didn't want to take it any further to exacerbate mm. the problem. It is a bizarre situation because it, it seems as if, well, certainly the supporters now feel that not only is their club being badly managed by the directors, but the directors are directly lying about the the fans' own yeah. own activities. And, and the, the, the fans have got enough reasons to be upset about as it is. I mean, just to focus maybe on those for a second or two, Beyond the issues with the security on, on on Saturday, what is the mood now ahead of this West Ham game? That's terrible, you know. And, and I agree with what you say. And, and the mood is is pretty uh, toxic, really, and it remains so. 
And I should just say, if because of that scepticism and anger, it's actually made what was already a difficult relationship between the, the, the fans and the board even worse. I should just say quickly, without again, without plugging too much into the minutiae, I think we've got to always be growing up enough to hold our hands up when we get things wrong. And, you know, people have, have spoken about the Athletics headline. On the initial news story, I have to say, the headline was, wasn't perfect. We probably did, well, we didn't attribute it in the headline to a club source. And it did read as if we were saying, as fact, it definitively happened. And it wasn't great. Uh, hold our hands up. It's been subsequently been changed. And there's a clarification on the article. And sometimes the headline informs how we tweet things initially as well. And so the tweet, the tweet repeated that. And a lot of people, you know, are personally saying to me that this is an example of you're not doing your job properly or worse, you've been in the club's pocket. So I think that underlines that, that amount of anger and scepticism just underlines what it's like at Everton at the moment, sadly. sadly, And, you know, it will go into the game on Saturday at the Olympic Stadium in that sort of mood. There are going to be banners again against the board. And um, I'm afraid I can't see that anger subsiding anytime soon. What What do you think happens if Everton lose at West Ham? Wow. Um, if Southampton felt like a must-win and a six-point, then this is kind of even more so a, a nine or a 12-pointer. If they lose, I think... I'd never second-guess Farhad Mashiri anyway, the, the owner, and he, it's only him who will be responsible for what happens to Frank Lampard. If they lose, I think maybe he might decide, you know, he might, he might change his stance on, on backing Lampard and, and, and insisting stability is important. So I think Lampard's job would be under most threat it's ever been under if they were to lose, especially if they were to lose badly against a team really struggling as well. Mm. And right. I think that the fallout of that will continue on, on and off the pitch, sadly. OK. Greg, sounds like you could have another busy week coming up. Mm. Best of luck there. Thank you. Strange. Yeah, more banners then at West Ham this weekend, do you think, Michael? Possibly, and probably not where Frank Lampard wants to go. Obviously, he always oh, yeah. gets a lot of abuse at West Ham, mm. so um, difficult one for him. All right, difficult one for David Moyes as well against, mm. against Everton. The Hammers have only taken one point from their last seven games uh, no team has won fewer matches than Everton this season however one of the only three that they have won was against West Ham how about that a 1-0 victory with do you know who scored the winning goal Matt Davis Adams uh, no Neil Mope it's the only goal he scored for Everton so far crikey Matt you famously called Bournemouth for relegation I think about two years it was a long way ahead of you know, it it was an extraordinarily prescient call. Let's put it that way. What's your feeling here? I think uh, it, it depends on the managerial changes, doesn't it? I mean, that that's what's done for my Wolves to go down prediction, um, by the way. The fact that they've got Lopetegui means that it doesn't look like they're going to. But um, I was greatly amused to read the Daily Telegraph report on Wednesday that David Moyes will be sacked if he doesn't win this game and then will be favourite to retake the Everton job uh, should that become available. That, that would be something quite wonderful to witness, I think. Mm. All right. Looks like West Ham will be boosted by the signing of Danny Ings, which has come from nowhere. Has, has that happened? 
uh, it's about to happen, it seems. Right. He said um, his goodbyes at the Villa train. He's Villa's top scorer this season, which feels a strange, like a strange decision to got, Yeah, they've only got Watkins, really, as a proper centre forward who's out injured at the moment. Does Leon Bailey not count? They've signed that guy from the US this week. Yeah, but he's like 19, right? Well, Bailey can play there, but he's looked better on the right, right. kind of cutting in. Whereas West Ham have Antonio and Skamaka. So I'm a bit surprised by this move and also oh. it's come out of nowhere and it's the second time in a row that a Danny Ings transfer has come out of nowhere right because um, no one really knew he was going to fill in the first place and uh, with all the focus he's a Villa huh? no. <laughs> well, he's now ticked <laughs> off the Carrot and Brew triple of Burnley Villa and West Ham which not many have that's true but all the attention in football journalism on transfers when there's one that just completely goes under the radar just find it deeply amusing mm. it's I, funny I'm players need Danny Ings because he's he's good but he's, n- he's going to end up having played for half the Premier League and scoring like 18 goals for each. He's one of those players, I'd say he's more likeable than he is good, if that makes sense. I, mm. I do like watching him play. He's, he's got great technique. But over the course of like 10 or 15 games, you think it just slightly lacks mm. something about him. That might be the most backhanded compliment I've ever heard. He's more likeable than he is good. It reminds me a bit of uh, Shane Long. Yeah. Everyone really rated Chain Long, but actually when you watched him, I mean, he didn't score much. Right. Does it go for a lot of Southampton players, just generally? I think it probably does. Right. They're, they're quite a likeable club, aren't they? Yeah. The same way James Ward-Prowse is a very likeable player. Though. Now, all right. Well, you mentioned James Ward-Prowse. So I was wondering this morning, uh, if and when aliens invade and yeah. through a bizarre but quite credible series of events, we are left with one football match to save as earthlings our position on the planet. This sounds like the plot for Green Street too, but yeah, carry on. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was thinking more of a kind of escape to victory type Mm, thing. Yeah. Us against the aliens. They'll probably have a Holland and and Messi and one or two other of their scouts sent ahead. Dice alone. There you go. Mm. No, he'll be with us. Crucially, I think. He supports Everton, bizarrely. There you go. He was once pictured there with what appeared to be a very disappointing hot beverage, but I don't know if his... His support for the Toffees goes beyond that. Yeah, All right. Like to think but back to my yeah. scenario, right? And in this game, it comes down to a last-minute free kick to save literally the planet. Which one person in the entire world would you want stepping up to take that free kick? Matt? So, sorry. <laughs> I need to check the premise <laughs> of this film. You've got to win the game to save the Earth. Yeah. yeah, the aliens. Okay, right. I mean, it's, it's escape to victory for the TikTok yeah. generation. Playing, it, playing against it's aliens. Independence Day meets escape to victory. That's my pitch. And TM, by the way, copyright. Okay. It's, I like it. Yeah. Who do you want stepping up? All right, I'm going to go Ward Prowse on of the basis that he, he said last season that he doesn't uh, practice free kicks repeatedly at training. He'll take one or two and then stop because he doesn't want it. He, he doesn't like the repeated motion and oh, he can miss a few, whatever. He, he likes that pressure of Ooh. I'm only going to do this a couple of times and it has to go in. So on that Good. basis, in your scenario, James, he's my favourite for it. Right. Uh, I'll go for Cristiano Ronaldo because one of them's got <laughs> the a little averages. One of them's got to go. <laughs> can you imagine the faces? Of the rest of the global population, <laughs> when Ronaldo Who's gets picked co- Oh, it'd be like David Brent in the Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but it's James Will Prowse, isn't it? I mean, of current players, it has to be. Yeah, his record is anywhere in the world outstanding. Yeah, and I like the fact that, I mean, I think he is now widely acknowledged as the best around, and I like the fact that he's he hits his free kicks with finesse. He's got the Beckham kind of thing. I hate this tomahawk thing that Ronaldo popularised, where 
one scores the best goal you've ever seen in 99 miss. I mean, it's interesting. Rashford used to take his free kicks that way and scored that brilliant one against Chelsea. Chelsea yeah. But his record overall was terrible. And now he's gone to, you know, more of a Ward-Prowse technique. He scored that one at the World Cup. He took one last night that I thought was interesting because it went, he got the dip, but it went miles wide. Yeah. <laughs> Just quite an un- unusual to watch. But yeah, I go Ward-Prowse as well. Okay. Same. I'm back in the Aliens. So. <laughs> <laughs> Southampton taking on Aston Villa. Uh, this weekend uh, uh, 90 minutes which may well feature a set piece or two Saints coming off the back of three straight wins in the League Cup the FA Cup and the Premier League they've beaten Man City in that run didn't even allow them a shot on target as we mentioned on Monday what's going to happen when they take on Villa I mean we'll find out on Monday I guess nobody's feeling bold today well I'm interested in if this Southampton revival is sustainable it feels like Nathan Jones sort of stumbled on a formation that, that clicked, mm. um, particularly against Manchester City and obviously backed it up last week against Everton. But, you know, I think Unai, Unai Emery is a very good tactician. I think he will possibly have looked at what Nathan Jones has done and, and may have a plan for that. So I think this is a big test for Southampton. But I think they... I mean, what's interesting is the bottom of the Premier League is so congested. Mm. Pretty much everyone's in the relegation battle. So each week... You know, a new team sort of pokes their head out towards safety. Yeah, Southampton in 20th place, but only two points from safety. And a bunch of other clubs could all be bottom of the table come Monday morning. We'll talk about some of the other crisis clubs, perhaps, in the final part of today's Totally Football Show, which is next. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Matt, when's your next What the EFL podcast coming out? Uh, It'll be on Monday. All right, okay. Or will you have bags of other things to talk about apart from former Crawley boss John Yems by the time that comes around. But then again, he may still be a story then after the well, extraordinary report from the FA regarding his discriminatory comments. And uh, I understand his own appearance on TalkSport subsequently. Uh, yeah, this has happened whilst we were recording. Um, and, and he has said, uh, and this is an unbelievable quote, but it comes from, from Alex Crook of TalkSport, who works for TalkSport, so presumably was listening. There are a few apologies that should be coming my way. Uh, so he's kind of doubled down extraordinarily on thinking that he hasn't done anything wrong. Um, it, yeah, the whole thing's such a mess, isn't it? It's the 
the the FA taking the lead from this independent three person panel who who made the decision and, and strangely enough included Tony Agana, the former Sheffield United and Notts County striker, is not a name that I've heard in a while. But yeah, I mean, you know, Yems is finished in football, obviously, so you wonder why they couldn't have just given him an appropriate ban because nobody's going to employ him after this. Um, yeah, nor 15, should they. Fifteen months he's been given. They said he wouldn't have. He would have got a longer even permanent suspension if they thought he was a conscious racist but they agree with his solicitor that he wasn't which when you read the stuff he came out with yeah i mean we, take. we i was talking to um abby patterson of the athletic erstwhile totally football league show producer about this yesterday and, and you know we feel like a couple of rubes for having him on the show last right. season and and, and so the reason deleted that that episode yeah. um the, the reason that we had him on was because we we wanted to, to try and find out a bit about him because he was going viral a lot last season for his post-match interviews where he was unbelievably rude to the to the poor lad from Crawley's media team who'd ask him the questions. And, and that, that chap, uh, his name escapes me, he was the Crawley media guy, would always go on Twitter afterwards and say, this is just an act. We have a good laugh about this as soon as the cameras stop rolling. So we kind of wanted to, to see if we could get a bit of, of the real John Yems, if you like. And he... He basically just came on and tried to charm us and, and told us the best way to to attack a Toby Carvery and obviously didn't say anything absolutely horrendous. Uh, but yeah, we don't we don't ever need to to see hear or or talk about him in football ever again. I don't think. All right, well, very disappointing from the FA, but really good that he's not going to be having that impact on anybody else's careers. Just to to say, I mean, you said Matt confidently he won't work in football again. Do we think that's the case? I, th- I think there's a lot of football chairmen who are quite forgiving of these kind of things. And we'll maybe take his side and feel that you can say these things. And I don't know, there's a lot of jobs around in conference, you know, national league, non-league. I, maybe I if he had a better track record. It's, it's not like he, yeah, his that, managerial record's point. anything yeah. to shout about. I bet he pops up somewhere, start, next, start of the season after next. Could be wrong. Be in sports. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's get back to this weekend of the Premier League. We've got Man City Spurs tonight at the Etihad. Spurs, of course, did the double over City last season. They've won a four of their last five meetings prior to Thursday night. Not much sense us doing too much talking about this game, given that it might well have been played by the time you hear this listener with your lax listening schedule, you. Uh, lots of people, though, have been writing in about Manchester City's form and whether it's Erling Haaland related. That's, of course, the big change since last season. Asher says, is Haaland offering a similar conundrum for Man City, as Cristiano Ronaldo did for Man United. The real Charlize suggests another parallel. Real Charlize says, is it Zlatan at Barcelona vibes? Zlatan famously brought in to Pep's Guardiola and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the numbers, they are pretty much the same team as last season in terms of the number of shots they're having, goals they're scoring. It's just one guy is dominating it. And, yeah, he's not he's not an all-round player yet. He is 22. I mean, strikers or players in any position are not complete at 22. And it's clear that from the way he played last weekend, Guardiola wants him to vary his position and drop deep and do a little bit of all sorts. But um, yeah, it's not quite happening for him at the moment. And when he's not scoring goals, he isn't offering that much. Do you anticipate it coming good in the near future? Do you think this is going to be one of those little blips? I think in future seasons he'll be a better player than this. But for this one, for this season, integrating him is going to... I think it could be tough. Yeah. Could be tough. I mean, the interesting thing about him is he can't really play any other position. I mean, the nice thing about Gabriel Jesus, who obviously was nowhere near prolific, was sometimes he could play on the right, sometimes he could play on the left. 
Guardiola doesn't tend to like strikers who are just completely fixed there. Mm. I mean, I don't think he took to Aguero for quite a long time until Aguero improved his game. And I think Aguero, two or three years into Guardiola, was a much better player than he'd been previously. So I'd be confident that he can improve Holland as well, but it could take a while. And we should point out, Holland's played 17 games in the Premier League and has scored 21 goals. So, I mean, if that's... I mean, I wouldn't mind a crisis like that. Right. I think it's more the fact that City are... Eight yeah. points off the top with him in their ranks. So well, they've had seasons like this before. That yeah. you know, I mean, they've won two titles in a row under Guardiola, then then really fell off, and then mm-hmm. they've done this again, and you know, seemingly the same again. So, I don't think you can put it all on the on the extremely broad shoulders of Big Earl. All right then, uh, Man City taking on Wolves Sunday two o'clock. Uh, elsewhere, sexy Brighton are at Leicester. Leicester have lost their last three games at home without scoring a single goal. Brighton, on the other hand, have picked up four wins in five and are scoring goals for fun, although they haven't won at the King Power in almost nine years. Matt, you were uh, saying before that you thought this weekend's fixture list is really, really brill. Is this Mm. one of the games you're looking forward to, even though you can't actually see it? Uh, Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the highlights. Yeah, Mm. it is. uh, I mean, Leicester, a really interesting one because they don't even pick up draws, do they? They, They've lost 12 of 19 games this season. They've only drawn twice. And they they kind of wonder if they they cast envious glances at Brighton because I look at Brighton and the way they are run and and think there are similarities with how Leicester used to be a few years ago. And, And Leicester just seem like quite off the pace in terms of the way they recruit players it all just feels a bit stale and and yeah Brighton are, are very much the opposite of that so you have to make them favourites to win this game Leicester have got a lot of injuries you know it's, mm. it's fair to say Dewsbury Hall Perez Madison Samari Evans Justin um, that's mitigation for Brendan Rodgers but he's in an interesting phase of his career as well isn't he because you wonder what his next move would be he, he was he was touted for the Spurs job while he was Leicester manager, wasn't he? And Arsenal, and you feel like they're well out of his reach now. So he kind of has to turn this around, I think, for his own his own uh, future prospects. Indeed. 5-2, the reverse fixture finish in Brighton's favour. That was Graham Potter's final game in charge. If Leicester are casting uh, envious glances around, they might throw one or two in Forest's direction, of course. Forest, who are outside that cluster of seven teams, in trouble. And oh my word... They've made a signing this week, Matt. Chris Wood. Yeah, I don't think he's officially signed. Is he not yet? No. Okay. Uh, but still, looks yeah, like... As, yes, and, and as Colin Miller's pointed out on Twitter, it, Wood, Forest feels like a natural home for Wood, which is not nice. something I'd thought of, but does make me feel a bit better. About the transfer, having seen Chris Wood play this season, particularly uh, at Sheffield Wednesday, the other week. Um, yeah, Forrest are doing well at the moment, but they've got key injuries. They've got Dean Henderson's going to be out for a month. This this game against Bournemouth is the uh, the they want Kaylor Navas derby and um, Forrest will definitely need to sign a keeper if Henderson's going to be out for that long because Wayne Hennessy's not up to it in the Premier League these days, I don't think. And Taiwo Awani, which is why they they're trying to bring in Chris Wood as another player who seems to be out for a while. So that that is potentially a big problem for Forrest. But but I think what Forrest have got in a, as an advantage over every team from what Palace downwards, other than Wolves, I'd say Forrest have got the best coach by by quite a wide margin. And I think that that will help them ultimately um, get out of the division. But this is a game that's got a lot of rancour in it. So I am particularly looking forward to it. All right. What's the rancour about? Uh, they were supposed to play February last year at Bournemouth, uh, but the Vitality Stadium suffered some storm damage 
in Storm Eunice. It was supposed to be played on a, a Friday night and Forrest had already travelled. It was only called off four hours before kickoff. And Forrest felt that the damage could have been repaired for them to play the fly game down, on Saturday. <laughs> you know what? They didn't fly down for that one, Duncan. And, and maybe well, that's where the storm. problem started. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, Forrest thought the game could have been played the next day and, and Bournemouth didn't. And, and Kiefer Moore, who was kind of their main source of goals at that point, was injured. And obviously, they play the game at the end of the season. Kiefer Moore scores the winning goal in it. That's what gets Bournemouth promoted ahead of Forrest. The Forrest owner throws all sort of shade at Bournemouth and the FL and Stuart Atwell, who was the referee. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's a fixture that's got something on it. And, of course, Forrest were 2-0 up against Bournemouth earlier in the season and contrived to lose it 3-2, which is one of the reasons Gary O'Neill got the permanent job. So, you know, maybe long-term it all worked out for the best for Forrest. Right, what a lot of wanker. <laughs> I do have a quite a lot of love for um, weather yes. weather rage from, from fans. I remember Wickham once had a game against Bristol Rovers that was abandoned because um, of an, a thunderstorm and there was danger of electricity pylons above the away and getting hit and the Bristol Rovers fans were so angry because they're winning. It was like, we don't mind, we'll take the risk. But hmm. they had to call it off. Uh, two games we haven't mentioned, Michael, before you're allowed to leave. Yep. You're doing another podcast next, aren't you? Yep. Which one's that? Is it the football tactics one? It is that one, yep. All right. This has been the ideal preparation, I like to think, for getting behind the school Yeah, line. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, so Palace, who we mentioned before, that one-one draw with Man United, they are taking on Newcastle. Duncan, you just threw up a finger, and I wonder if it's because of the Alexander Mitrovic penalty controversy. Was there something else you wanted to say about this game? There was actually something else, but okay. I think we can do both. Go so, on then. You so, go first with the other thing. So these two teams have already had two 0-0 draws this season. Yes. Uh, the last time two top flight teams had three goalless draws in a, in a single season was Everton and, and Wimbledon in 1992-93. They did that in the league, the FA Cup and the League Cup. And then I didn't realise this, but famously the fourth game they played that year, which did have some goals in it, 3-1, was the lowest ever Premier League attendance. And I always wonder why so few people went to that game. That might be one of the reasons. That is Surely excellent. Surely was. That is excellent. Surely was. I've seen that figure so many times. 3,039, yeah. yeah. Incredible. Mm. Bit wow. of background. That is good. They'll have a bigger crowd, I feel, this time around. Newcastle. I suspect so. Mm. They used to give away tickets, didn't they, back in the day? Oh, right, that's great. And I, I feel a bit shy about airing the other topic I wanted to mention, which was... Monday, in a Newcastle-related fixture, Alexander Mitrovic's penalty kick slippage was discussed, uh, Daniel's story, to widespread support amongst the other podders, suggesting that it was, I quote, the worst rule in football. I mean, that is... Worst rule in football. Wait, wait, wait. Worst rule in football. If you inadvertently happen to touch a penalty kick with both feet and the referee points us out, you're not allowed to retake it in the same way that if you encroach as an attacking player uh, or uh, or if you're a goalkeeper and you come off the line, there's a retake. Even though you've committed an infraction, they get a, a retake. But it's a retake if you've kind of yeah, but the gained re- an advantage right, from yeah. doing that. There was yeah. an illegal... The penalty was illegal, but slipping over. I mean, if, if a goalkeeper takes a goal kick, slips over, yes. and it goes to a forward who scores, they yeah. can't be like, oh, hang on, I just slipped over. Can I have another go? It's, no, know. but if you were to take a penalty kick and slip and you miss it, fair enough, you don't get another chance for it. But if you take a penalty kick, slip over in the course of taking it and still score, but he's it kicked it harsh. twice. It's, it's, his, it's his responsibility. Did he kick it twice, though? Well, yeah, once, twice. No, he didn't. He, he slipped over because they'd roughed up the, the turf. 
and it, well, but that's, it went I off mean, his that, foot. Yeah, but it's his responsibility. No, I understand they disallow the goal, but do you not think he's, you know, not he's really. allowed to pat the turf back down and have another go? If you take a corner... What do you think is the worst rule in football then, Michael? Well, I thought that offside last weekend was quite quite odd. I mean, I The offside rule in general? No, but I mean... I mean, it is, though. I don't think it's off. I, you can maybe disagree with this thing, but one, it doesn't really happen that often. Right. And two, it's, it's not that... It's not the worst rule. It can't be the there's worst a, rule. There's a reason why you are the ref of such right. a long-running popular column, mm. because everyone loves obscure obscure moments in football that don't happen very often. And okay. that was... Well, that was one of them. Matt, do you, where, we're going to get Daniel's right of reply next Monday. This is going to run and run. But where do you, <laughs> who's, which team are you on? Oh, man, it's so hard. I, I, to be brutally honest, I, I'm just not that not interested in it okay. because it doesn't happen very often. Um, right. But yeah, worst rule in football, getting booked for taking your shirt off. Okay. Yeah, don't wouldn't disagree with that. All right, then. Uh, Fulham Tottenham is on Monday night and that'll feature, of course, well, probably Alexander Mitrovic. And there you go. There you go. Any other thoughts that you want to offer up before we wrap up today's Toady Football Show, Matt? I just that this looks like a really uh, fascinating, brilliant weekend of Premier League football. Really excited for it. Once Nicely again. buttressed, isn't it? You know, with the uh, the opening and closing fixtures yeah. and the big one on Sunday. Indeed. And some of it actually visible to enormous fee-paying uh, TV subscribers. Oh, yeah. Maybe the blackout's the worst rule in football. <laughs> Joke. <laughs> I'm just constantly trying to think of wor- the worst rule in football. What, in general in life or now? No, just, just at the moment. Right. I think the worst, I mean, it's been fixed now, but in hindsight, it was quite weird the goal kick had to go outside the box. Mm. What was that about? If you want to play a five-yard <laughs> pass, what? I mean, ironically, you did get to take it again, didn't you? Yeah. If that happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe Daniel's right. Centre no, circle, no, there's no actually, need for centre circle. I have to circle. say, the, the TV blackout and the taking shirt off are both strong calls, but I think the, the offside rule, and there is a very simple solution to that. But uh, Would you get rid of it, like Van Basten one? Oh, no, I don't think you should get rid of it, but I mean, I've, I've said this before, and I, I don't want to... But I, I think the ice hockey uh, fixed line is the, okay, the simplest yeah. solution. Yeah. That the, the... Well, in this case, the ball has to cross the line before you do. And if the if you're in that area, if you're in the, the attacking zone and the ball then exits, then you become offside. You have to get back out. Mm. Again, it's great fun. Mm. Yeah. And it's it's a big, big bloody line across the the playing surface. So no one's in any doubt. We had the IFAB meeting this week. So okay. literally when they do make up new rules. So I think the main one that's come out of it is we're going to have NFL-style referees with microphones announcing what the decision okay. is. Okay, I would also redress the uh, the the time issue where the, the, the most sports you have a countdown and yeah, that they, they the talked drama. about that as well. Okay, good. And they said game clock. Yeah, they said no. So only the referee can know possibly how long there is. For Which this. I think is good. I like that. You like that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Listen, you'll have your own views, perhaps, but that's where we're going to stop airing ours. Thank you so much for being with us, Duncan, Matt, Michael, producer Charlie, and producer Jesse. And you, listener. We're back on Monday. Perhaps you'll join us for that. In the meantime, have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. 
It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.